Welcome, friends and fiends. This is your host, film critic and comedian, Nate Wyckoff. And I'm here to tell you about an exciting giveaway that Warner Brothers Discovery and Colton Classic Films LLC has put together to build your 4K Ultra HD film collection on digital. We are giving away four codes which contain digital 4K Ultra HD versions of Rebel Without a Cause, Maltese Falcon, and Cool Hand Luke. These are films that you absolutely must know as a film buff. You can get this code by being one of the lucky four people we pull from our newsletter list. So go to coltonclassicfilms.com slash newsletter and give us your email and your name and we'll sign you up for the newsletter and we will enter you in the competition. That's all you got to do. So please go ahead and do that. The contest ends on April 30th and we will send out the winning codes on May 1st. Thank you so much for being a listener. And here's your episode of Colton Classic Films Podcast. Welcome to Colton Classic. <laughs> Welcome, friends and fiends, to yet another episode of your favorite podcast, Colton Classic Podcast. This is, of course, the podcast where we talk about two thematically linked films, one mainstream and one cult. And this is part two of Thrillers After Dark. Last week, we talked about 2014's uh, Jake Gyllenhaal-led feature Nightcrawler, uh, uh, which was, we all agreed, a pretty fantastic quality film, although very difficult to watch and uh, troubling on many levels. Uh, definitely an acting snub, I think, for, for Jake Gyllenhaal. I, I think he deserved more. But uh, we've paired it with 1988's, uh, some releases of this film do say 89, but it's 1988's, uh, my brain is is i'm looking at the movie it's jennifer jason lee uh heart of midnight now the title is kind of a it's very poetic obviously but it's kind of a plan words um the plot of this movie involves jennifer jason lee's character a 20 something with a, a history of uh, nervous breakdowns and unexplained trauma uh, who inherits her uncle who she has wonderful memories of uh her uncle's nightclub with dreams of turning it into a singing club. Uh, well, when she gets there, uh, there is a, a few person construction team uh, not heading, but pretending to head uh, work on it. And uh, she finds out that her uncle was running a sort of like a sex club dungeon thing um like there's on the second floor there are essentially hotel rooms uh, the building has been many things in the past including a hotel and each room has a weird setup one of them looks like a child's room one of them which should have been red flags right away um one of them is full of stacks of pornographic magnets with multiple um like peep show machines uh one of them is full of fake apples and a couple of crates that's a weird one seems like a bad use of space and then we have um uh, one that is just mattresses and pillows wall to wall with several cameras showing different angles uh, and, and so on and so forth. <clears throat> the issue is, is that the place seems like it might be haunted. Although I will give them credit. Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character never says it's haunted. Uh, it's really us as the audience that sees things like, oh, stuff falling off the shelves, spooky vision, sounds, that sounds haunted. Uh, she thinks there's someone there. And, uh, and the police don't believe her. Uh, they even don't believe that uh, two men and a third came into her apartment on like the first night that she stays there, uh, two of them being employees of hers, and try and apparently succeed in raping her. Uh, and she, they're caught. 
uh, one who tried to help her escape is, is shot and killed by police. And that makes the police not very happy with her because they say she probably made the whole thing up because she has a history of mental illness. And now one of their own officers is under investigation for shooting an unarmed uh, black man. So in a weird way, sounds like it could have been made really recently. Uh, all of the issues at play in this movie are still very prevalent in our culture. And this was, this is a very odd movie. I am absolutely not surprised um, based on its, its thematic content that this film is not more well known, but I am surprised at the quality of the production uh, in many ways that it isn't more well known. It has been re-released by Kino Lorber uh, Films. So you know that it has a certain pedigree about it, um, but we'll get into it. So I'm Nate Wyckoff, of course, comedian, film critic, and your host. And with us today, much like last week's episode, we have Tad Mastriani. How you doing, Tad? Oh, hey. <laughs> I gave us really uplifting films for this pairing. So everyone oh is God, super, super jazzed. They love it. That The world's such a happy place. We need a little grit in our lives right now. Yeah, uh, I'm... I'm, I'm I am uh, I am grittier than a fucking driveway right now. I am uh, uh, I'm loaded up on Zoloft, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Mandy <laughs> Longley. Mandy is also with us. How are you doing today, Mandy? I was happy, and then I came here. Ah, wah, wah, wah. Um, yeah, I think we're gonna have lots to talk about with this one. This is a this is an uh, this is an unhappy film uh, in many ways. I will say I don't think it has. I didn't consider the ending to be an incredibly bleak ending. It actually has kind of a, 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 a better than terrible ending, although there is a body count in this film. Um, as always, there are spoilers to the plot. This does have like a reveal in it. So if you think that this movie uh, that seems like it might be a ghost story, it's a psychosexual thriller is really what I would call it um, with, with heavy adult themes, including uh, pedophilia and things like that. If, if this sounds like you might be interested in this kind of crime movie, then just watch it. Um, you can stream it, you can pick it up from Kino Lobor and, uh, and you can watch it. It's one of Jennifer Jason Lee's most theatrical performances. And I say that not because she's over the top or chooses scenery, but because she's forced to act given a lot of silence, a lot of looking, a lot of sitting around by yourself, talking to herself, smoking cigarettes. So it took, I think, a lot of, uh, of actor energy to do this role. And I think if you're a fan of hers, it's interesting to see. Um, but moving on beyond that, let's get to the spoilers. So she has a very good memory of her uncle who she got this place from. And uh, she's faces repeated visits from um, a, a detective who turns out not to be a detective. She sort of assumes he is um, based because the officer who shot the kid who tried to rape her uh, actually tried to help her escape from the rapist, but he's not. He, he's not all good. Uh, he still let most of it happen. Um, there is now an internal affairs review. So there is a cop supposedly coming to visit her to talk about the, the incident. Um, and we find out not too long after she has a couple of meetings with this guy that he's not actually the cop. The cop shows up, uh, follows what appears to be ghostly door openings, and then gets locked in a room and then we hear horrible sounds. Uh, uh, presumably he's been murdered. Now, there is no ghost as far as we can tell, just to spoil that right there. I don't think it really matters because the atmosphere is so ghost heavy in this movie 
that um, especially with things like it's about like her remembering terrible childhood. The, the fact that her uncle was a pedophile and molested her, I actually don't think that's a reveal because we as the audience are pretty clear on that very early. Um, I feel like even though they don't show it, we see clips, what she remembers of her uncle. And he is a very unsavory seeming man. He's very, mm, he's what you might paint as a pedophile, as like the pedophile uncle in the 70s, if you were to ask to paint a 70s uncle pedophile. Like that's what he looks like. He literally has like two buttons on his uh, button down shirt. Um, he's got like a chain and lots of body hair and he keeps handing her apples and dangling them by the thing and leering at her. It's very odd. Um, but I feel like we get that long before she does. We also know that she has issues before she reveals it because she she's very uncomfortable being touched. Um, and she's very mousy, even when she tries to assert herself over and over again. Um, but the men, because everyone around her, except for one character, are men, and they absolutely gaslight her. This is very much in line with Nightcrawler, where uh, uh, Jake Gyllenhaal's character uses gaslighting, among other manipulative tools, to get people under his thumb. Uh, and so she pushes back a little bit, but she is a young woman in, in a world that is absolutely not safe for her in this film. And she has one ally who is a social worker uh, who, who comes to her aid after uh, her attack. And this social worker is, number one was an interesting cast because English is not her first language. And it was, an, it was a very realistic thing. She doesn't speak because she doesn't, because English is not her first language. She's not speaking as though someone playing a therapist, if that makes sense. She sounds like an actual therapist. And also I will credit her. I will credit the script as well for presenting a therapist, a social worker who actually is doing positive things. So often um, we see social workers and, and therapists in these film, in any film being unrealistic. Now there are plenty Therapists are people. There are plenty of shitty therapists out there, guys. Trust me, I've come across many of them. Uh, I had a therapist who wouldn't return my phone calls. I do not call very often, um, but that that's usually a bad sign. Um, but you kind of want to least, you kind of want to give them the benefit of a doubt, right? People don't become social workers for the money. So most people who are social workers seem to want to help people, uh, whether or not they're capable is, is another story. But this woman actually, she goes to bat for, uh, for the lead character. She absolutely, she's offers her support any time of day. She shows up in the middle of the night kind of thing. She forces because Jennifer Jason Lee's character is, is, becoming more and more agitated and less sure of her own reality. Um, the social worker character then handles the police and insists that they do things like check the house for people. Uh, and let's talk about the police for a second because the like the lead of investigation, the detective or whatever is uh, none other than Frank Stallone. Yes, that is Sylvester Stallone's brother. And yes, he actually plays guitar and sings a song in this movie. Just, Let me- Really? He has to. So. Frank Stallone, first off, God love Frank Stallone, okay? If you've never seen him, he looks a little bit like, you can tell he's related to his brother, Sylvester. Um, he, he is a musician. He writes and plays music and he still does. In fact, if you're on the East Coast, uh, he used to come, I'm sure he still does, to uh, the, the Fox Den at one of the casinos uh, in Connecticut quite often. And, uh, you know, good for him. He's actually, he actually plays and sings beautifully. He acts okay. 
Um, sometimes he does a really good job. This one, I'm not sure that it's really his fault. His character is a the stereotypical misogynistic police officer who really doesn't give women's words credence at all. No matter how many times he's proven wrong, which are several times in this movie, um, there's no one here. You find someone. Well, there are two kids here. Okay. Uh, uh, you're welcome for doing your job. He has that line um, when he's not thanked properly for finding the people that are there that he claimed weren't there. Uh, it's the police are very frustrating in this movie. I I, I looked through criticism or you know reviews from a lot of um, just the average viewer of this film, and. Some people were kind of upset. They're like, the cops are ridiculous. They're a caricature. And guys, I'm here to tell you, statistically, this is how charges of rape are handled in the United States. Sorry. Like, if you don't like it, how about some social change? Um, this is not unrealistic. No, but Nathan, um, I've never walked into a police station and actually seen four police officers all playing string instruments at the same time. That was wild. I was that like, was wild am I watching? So what's crazy about it though, is that this movie does a lot of those things, right? Where they have you, it's, it's based in reality, yet there are constant nods to magical realism that they're never impossible, just weird. They also um, don't fit the narrative. Like it doesn't fit with the theme of the movie. Like it's so jarring all the time. So I, I didn't mind most of it. The playing guitar thing is a little ridiculous probably mostly because I know Frank Stallone plays music. Uh, he plays it in many of the movies that he is in and he plays it professionally. So to see them bust that out, it's like when you see the actor encroaching on the role as opposed to embodying the role, um, it's just a little too much. Um, this, it reminded me of, uh, uh, I, I actually didn't see the film, it's been recommended to me, but there's the book that it's based on, it's a horror novel called The Sentinel. I actually think it's a terrible book. Um, some interesting images, but it's a just, it's really poorly written and nonsensical. But it's about an apartment building where weird things start to occur and they become weirder and weirder. That's the vibe of this. The theater that they filmed it in or wherever location they use as a theater, I mean, I'm not sure what it really is, is awesome. Uh, it's the kind of place that um, if, if I walked into, I'd be like, how much I want to live here. It's wild. It's full of grime, but it's cool. The hallway is painted like blood red. The lights are ceiling fixtures that are mounted sideways on the walls. It's just wild. Um, the plot, as we said, uh, she finds out that her beloved uncle was actually... Um, a lot of reviews are like, he's a pervert. Well, yes, he's a pervert, but that's that term has become many different things nowadays. He's actually a pedophile, and it turns out a murderer. He's murdered a woman. Um, oh, I thought you were going to say entrepreneur. <laughs> to fit with Nightcrawler. What I should have called this, <laughs> I should have, instead of Thrillers After Dark, which is the name of this pairing, we should have called it Entrepreneurs on the Rise. Yeah, no, so he is an entrepreneur. Um, he did he did, you know, have apparently some level of success with this little sex den. He made lots of videos, but it's, we learn that he's really a vile character. Um, and we learn this because the one, the man that Jennifer Jason Lee's character thinks is a police officer turns out to be his former partner who went to jail. He says, because of uncle's backhanded dealings, but we don't know why, um, but he went to jail 
and his little sister was left in this guy's charge. Well, the little sister turns out to be the one who's living in the walls because as a sex dungeon, all the walls have crawl spaces and view holes, which actually makes sense. That did, did surprise no one, <laughs> I think. Um, and so what's really wild about it is that it's got this sort of crying game vibe where it's not clear in the beginning until she starts speaking and you really see that she is biologically a woman the sister you think because she in the videos there are videos where she's a child you think that it's a boy they call her sunny um and she turns out to be the murderer who murdered the real cop and the brother has been trying including drugging jennifer jason lee trying to get time alone in the place so he can flush out his sister because purportedly and he seems like he probably does cares about jennifer jason lee's well-being and knows that his sister has become deranged and needs to, he wants to help her and get her out of the house. So the sister in the climactic moments uh, ties up Jennifer recently, reveals all of this. And she actually has this line that's a really good line, I thought, uh, which was because Jennifer is like, why are you doing this? And she's like, would you want to be the victim or the participant? And Jennifer Jason Lee answers the question, the participant. And it's sort of, it's it's become, they play it off as though the sister's survival mechanism was to engage and learn to enjoy this sadism, uh, otherwise be consumed by it. And there's, there's psychological science behind that. This is not the first time we've seen that in these movies. We see it in movies all the time. Uh, abuser, abuse victim, like there's lots of different things that can be at play there. I like the fact that for uh, a, a character that is revealed to be a woman, there doesn't appear to be any, and you can't call this character trans, clearly. You don't know how she identifies. She's been she's an abuse victim, right? Um, but I like the fact that there was a woman who was playing a man, and at no point in time does one of the character goes, oh my God, bleh, and like vomits on screen. You know, there's no family guy moments. Um, I don't think there's anything necessarily that trans people... Uh, are being attacked in this movie, even though there's a woman who plays as a man for a brief period. That was nice. Um, but that's about the only quote unquote nice thing in this movie because it is really unpleasant. Everyone is a terrible person except the social worker. And the brother, he's not, I guess, a terrible person. We know he went to jail for something. Um, presumably he was innocent, although he was helping fund this sex dungeon, which it isn't wrong inherently by itself, but some of the things they were doing were clearly very inappropriate uh, and illegal. So no ghost, lots of spooky moments, lots of atmosphere. Um, before I get to uh, Tad and Mandy, what you guys thought, I do wanna just mention that this is super theatrical in the stage play sense. Lines are spoken with a little bit extra exposition. Dialogue is stilted in a way that a stage play would tend to be to make up for lack of visual cues. Lighting is very good. Set design is very good, but it's all very staged. Characters move back and forth in a way to create engagement that they wouldn't normally in a movie because it's not necessarily realistic, but they would in a stage play because it's tiring to watch two people stand in the same place. Um, and there, I, I will say, as a literature student, uh, there's so much imagery in this movie to dissect that I actually found it quite amazing that way. They really put effort in every scene of this film. That said, 
I think we've got some strong opinions on this movie. I'm going to jump to you, Mandy. Mandy, what did you, what's your takeaway from this film? How did you take it? Uh, I know that you were upset to a point. Yeah, I texted you guys. And I was like, why does it always have to be a pedophile? Why? <laughs> also, what is up with this poster? I normally you know, try to go in these movies without expectations, but like that poster set me up completely wrong. Seriously. Yeah, so it's actually, so the poster, um, this is the cover of the Kino Lower release, and it is the original poster, I believe. It is the red hallway, and it's it, like situated in the center of it is Jennifer Jason Lee smoking a cigarette up in the air in sort of a devil may care way. And the outfit that she's in is the one that uh, the killer has put her in at the end, which is a latex, uh, very short dress. Of course it dress that's corseted at yeah. the back uh down all the way to right above her bum it's a very uh a very sexy outfit um and it does sort of prep one to think that this is and it's filled this way in some of the reviews as an erotic thriller because of course in the 80s and 90s erotic thrillers were all the rage they really were um basic instinct was sort of the pinnacle of the theater release ones but direct-to-video releases were in the thousands, um, we really did get a million. And for a long time, we still got them. Like Ashley Judd's movies tended to be those like holdovers. Um, Meg Ryan's later works, things like that, were always the erotic thriller. They were always sexy. They were supposed to be highbrow. Um, but really, they're exploitation films in the 70s vein that were sort of found a new home for pent up uh, married people. Um, and that's... And I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. We got some great cinema out of it, um, but that's what this is presented as. But what's interesting about it is it takes place in a, in a former like sex hotel, but it is intentionally, I would put forward, incredibly unsexy. Everything about this movie is not sexy. Jennifer Jason Lee is a beautiful woman who plays, I mean, she plays this as a sexual, like a, a sort of textbook case of a sexual abuse survivor. She doesn't like physical contact. She wears very baggy clothes. Um, she, you know what I mean? She, she hides essentially a lot of it. She has conversations with herself. And of course I'm way over generalizing. This is not something every sexual uh, survivor of sexual abuse <laughs> exhibits, but they're signs that in movies we've been taught at least to recognize as signs of someone who is hiding because of a great trauma. Um, and I think that's pretty clear right away. So when we know there's a creepy uncle, well, statistics tell us uh, that it she's been abused. So yeah, yeah anyway, it, it's a so, different movie on the cover. <laughs> right, I, so I was thinking, I saw the cover and I was thinking more like, and then we saw her character at the beginning and the fact that she was inheriting this thing. And I was thinking more like cabaret. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, for sure. Like, like Chicago. Yeah. A development of the character from this like mousy, like repressed type character yeah. into an awakening and a development of something, maybe a reclaiming of the sex industry sure. to some extent. Um, and like making it like a like her own power kind of, or like, you know, reinventing the creepy uncle spot into something that was really hers, especially when she's like first ignored by the, um, the workers who are doing the remodel, yeah. I was like, oh, like she's gonna get her footing and she's gonna go give them the business and like like get yeah. like get this this going and it, like it's gonna be some kind of like character arc movie that way. And then it just like 
completely went the other direction or like you know like that was not what was happening at all um yeah so, I agree yeah with you. so i was i just spent a lot of uh of the of the movie well not a lot of it like i spent like probably like 30 minutes of it when it was clear it wasn't going in that direction just kind of being pissed off at the poster like <laughs> my own very understandable it- right yeah. It does look like the kind of movie where, as you said, she'd come into her own. It almost looks like the kind of movie where she'd realize that she was abused and that her uncle ran a sex ring. And then she would, instead of rejecting it, she would actually lead the sex club. Do you know what I mean? Like, like it does she feel like the madam. Right. Like, and, or something. Yeah. and it isn't that. Um, and the poster, it's interesting because you're totally right. The poster is 100% elements from the actual film, mm-hmm. but the composite of them together is inherently misleading um, and even the title the heart of midnight with so this imagery is it's like, a weird play yeah, on words because the weird. club that she inherited is called the midnight mm-hmm. and so the heart of midnight you could read it many different ways i suppose um she does so the ending let's talk about the ending real quick before we jump to you tad so the ending is um the 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 brother is shot by the sister when uh, he saves Jennifer Jason Lee's character, she leaves, and then um, she watches through one of the peepholes as the sister shoots uh, her brother, which is, of course, the love interest at this point. Um, although, thankfully, they haven't actually had any physical contact, really, because it wouldn't work that way. Um, yeah, we don't really know if love interest is, is strong enough, is like the right word, but um, she watches it, and then she goes into the room because the sister has run into the pathway the passages again um and seems to check on him and then goes down and she comes across one of those imagery moments i was talking about she comes across the sister using a leaf blower um presumably in there to clean up the dust and stuff from the work blowing like these hundreds of torn up porno mags that um jennifer jason lee made the contractor tear up to dispose of um she's blowing them and she's sweeping it around and it mirrors one of the videotapes that um, we don't know who either the sister or the brother, I imagine, I don't know, left playing when Jennifer Jason Lee was, was uh, woke up from being drugged. It mimics the footage of the sister as uh, pretending to be a young boy, at least referred to as a boy in the footage, sword fighting with a, a, a place, I don't know if it's a place or not in her room. Uh, so, we see this mimicry of this and it's like this you could take it either one of two ways either she's been stunted and so she's never become an adult i don't really think that's accurate because she's aware of her situation before that moment she's aware that she's now no longer right she's sort of the phantom of this opera right and she's um but she shot her brother after telling her brother, you left me here. And the brother is saying, I did not know what he was like, um, which we don't get any information on that, but who's to say um, she shoots him. But then it's as though she reverts at that moment back to a child, a dangerous child, but a child, because we see her mimicking that same kind of play. At which point I really like this moment, even though it takes a weird turn where Jennifer Jason Lee's character and the sister look at each other and they approach each other and they embrace because that really, and again, it's a very, a very stage moment. They're one on one side, one on the other side in the midst of these falling paper fragments. Jennifer Jason Lee's character, they both were abused by the same person. 
Jennifer Jason Lee's character repressed it and is dealing with these blocks and mental issues because of it. Whereas the other character went the other way to deal with it, which was to embrace it. And you have, so it's the same situation, the two different extremes of coping mechanisms, and then they recognize it in each other and they embrace. Now, we get this moment then where um, the sister raises the gun and seems to point it at Jennifer Jason Lee's character's head, at which point Frank Stallone and the social worker burst in and they shoot the sister. This is an interesting moment. And normally I would assume, but I don't know that I can assume effectively in this movie because they're clearly so nitpicky about their images. We get him coming up, the sisters on the floor, presumably dead. And we see him walk up to the scene with there. And then he opens a gun and looks at the bullets. Now there's two ways to take this because the assumption from my end at first was like, well, we know that the sister only had one bullet supposedly because the, that gun has been introduced in the movie that she used and it only had one bullet to play either suicide or play Russian roulette for a sex game, who knows. Um, but he opens this gun and there are three bullets. It looks like he doesn't pick up her gun. It looks like he's looking at his gun. No, con I, That's one I haven't figured out. And I don't know if it's just a, a, a poor editing choice where he looks and it's supposed to show the audience that the sister had loaded more bullets in the gun, um, which is possible. Or if there's a reason he's looking at the three bullets. Don't really know. Um, the reason I, I harp on that heavily is because as I said, the images are heavy in this movie and they are repeated, um, like the foil of Jennifer Jason Lee and the sister. Tad, what is your take on this movie after you saw it? Overall, um, this was a tough one to get through just because, again, I have an issue with movies that start really slow. And that's probably due to the fact that I'm getting old and my attention span's getting really crappy. But um, he plays video games. I don't even play video games anymore. I don't have time for video games. Well, you um, should play Resident Evil Village. It's really good. You should listen to our mini-sode about it. Anyway, continue. There's a, don't even get me started. God. Um, so when I was watching this movie, um, I had... And I think I have this problem with a lot of the movies that we've watched that come from this time period where it feels like there is a really smart premise, but it feels like the writing and the directing just can't convey it in an effective manner to the normal audience. Like I try to watch a movie and not look at it from a critical eye until after I've watched it. And then my, my brain starts grinding. But at the time, I'm just like, what the fuck is this? Why is this happening? What the fuck is this? Um, and make no mistake, once it hit around the 40 minute mark, then it started getting interesting because the more interactions that I saw with the fake sharp character. Yeah, the I, fake police officer, I, the brother. I liked his character a whole lot, even though his, um, his, his delivery was kind of wooden and he didn't have a whole lot of personality, but at the same time, it was a smart, it, there was some smart delivery, especially the dry delivery. Like when, like she's pointing the gun at the floor Mm -hmm. and and tapping on it and then he walks in and he's like 
I can't remember what he said exactly, but it was like, you better aim good because, well, you don't have enough bullets because I only, because I have two feet or something. Right. Like. She knows, we know that there's supposed to be one bullet in the gun and she's hearing things crawl through the walls and the floor and she's trying to track it through the floor. And she's like, I've, I'll shoot you. And she looks up and he's standing there and it's his two feet. And he says, yeah, it's like, uh, it's like, well, I'll, I hope you got another bullet because I have two feet. There we go. That, uh, yeah. I, I like that interaction because the movie tries to convince you that this guy is totally a creeper because he's like, he's not who he says he is. He keeps breaking in basically and coming to see her and kind of acting a little, um, you know, like fatherly way. You say, hey, you sh I've been trying to get a hold of you for like a day and uh, I haven't heard from you. But, and then, then it like, the, as you get more revealed, it's like, oh, you start to like this character a lot more because everybody else is a kind of a shit bag and this is the only one yeah. that isn't. Shit back. And and even 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 when you know that he's lying to her, he seems like one of the few people where he may actually be trying to help her. And I think of um, there's a lot of movies uh, that we've all seen. Some of them we've talked about where they try and do this thing where uh, is it real or is it not real? Is she going crazy? Is she not going crazy? What yeah. is this person? And there's this is one of the few that actually effectively had me going. I wasn't sure. I'm like either he's either he's lying and he's something we don't know and he knows more than he's saying or he's a ghost or fictional right because we don't see he doesn't talk to anybody else he says one line to the contractor who's looking at him but we don't know if the contractor's actually looking at him or looking at her because she's been talking to herself it's hard to tell um it's impossible to tell and so <laughs> Like huh? it's also almost like even even in those those really boring to me thirty five minutes or so, I was already like getting mind fucked. Of like, are any of these people actually real? Right. Like hallucinating everything. It almost felt like a, a really long. I'm gonna I'm gonna date myself because well for the time period this makes sense. This felt like um, a really long. Are you afraid of the dark? Episode at first. Yeah. And then it turned into like um, a really weird like version of uh, Nickelodeon's game shows with all the the way the sets were built and then it felt like and depending on how many people who are listening have played it because I'm gonna make a video game reference for once I try to avoid these but the first thief game thief from 1997 I believe I'd ask yes um, the mission, the sword, where you're going through essentially the trickster god's mansion that is complete like madhouse engineered to be, be completely batshit this actually felt like that and i got that 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 feeling like when i was looking at that second floor i'm like that's like the second floor of the mansion when there's just like doors that go to nowhere and weird colors everywhere and lamps on the side of the wall i don't know if it was inspired but it certainly had that so inspiration so, so i think one of the things we're getting at here is that the visuals are i think they're quite excellent in this movie but they're clearly intentional I really, the colors and everything, nothing is unintentional in this movie. Um, and that's pretty wild because it's it's clearly a labor of love, I guess is what you would say, uh, which is weird to say about a movie that's such unpleasant content. But the big images are one, and we never hear about why, but Jennifer Jason Lee's character has a, a foot brace on, on her left foot, the whole movie, until the last scene when we're given to show that time has passed, the club is back together 
the brother's sitting at a table healed and she's dolled up in one of the dresses from upstairs in the dressing closet that she finds. Um, we assume she doesn't have a brace and the image, the, the easy takeaway, which I think is probably the accurate one is she is, she was crippled coming into this and now she is healed through the, you know, re revelations that have been brought to her about her own past and her memories and such. And that was an interesting, that was a very much, that was a literary device put on film, which as you said, Tad, I don't think, I think there's a lot in this movie that a casual view would not really pull up, um, which is clearly understood to a point because some of the images they hammer extremely hard. The main one being the most recognizable, which is the apple. In her memories, the uncle is twirling a red apple at her and he always has an apple. He's feeding an apple to a horse. And in the um, in the in one of the sex rooms, as we said, there is a pile of fake apples. And one of the more like early on spooky moments is she goes into the kitchen, which previously had no food, and she's unloading groceries. And as she opens the door, there is one real red apple in the center of the fridge. She puts it on top of the fridge. Days later, we see a mealworm crawling out of it. Later still, as things have gotten crazy and she's clearly questioning herself, uh, it's covered in worms. And <clears throat> in the attic, when the social worker goes with her to see what's making this noise because the social worker is smart and knows she's not going crazy and hears the sounds herself, so we then know that there's something up, there is one wall which is plastered with God forgive me notes and prayers and things and a picture of a woman. We learn at the end that that is the woman that the uncle murdered. Um, and on the other side is a pile of apples. We don't know if they're fake or real. She doesn't touch them. Uh, and there's a pile of apples. Well, the traditional imagery in the literary sense, in the, in the West at least, for the apple is that it is a sign of innocence and eating the apple is lost innocence because of the uh, westernized version of the story, Adam and Eve from uh, the Christian version of creation and so on and so forth. Um, is that in the Old Testament? I think it is. That so is that the Old part Testament. Of, part of the Torah as well. Okay, so it's part of the, Jew the Jewish faith as well. But the problem is, of course, is we know if you do any reading on it, it could have been an apple. It probably would have been a fig or something. The translation is wrong. Europeans changed it to be something they would recognize more easily. but. Um, but that's stuck with us since, you know, Milton's Paradise Lost and things that apples represent innocence, biting into it and eating it, you are now, uh, you've lost your innocence. You've tasted truth and now you know things like nakedness and shame and all of these things. So they take it to the step where the inside of the apple can be different than the outside, right? So the vision of the apple is purity and innocence, but inside it is impure. And that's where problems lie. And that's when we get the opening of the worms bursting out of the apples. And then we hammer it home when she first discovers the hidden passageways between all the rooms. Underneath that pile of apples, essentially behind the veneer of apples in the attic. So innocence is lost and she sees past the outside of the apple into the passageway. So, and that's when she starts to find out what's really going on. So it's this wild repeated image and it's not just the apple, it's a red apple. And she instinctively reacts to red throughout 
the club because the club is red and she's at one point says i want all the red gone um and so it's like it's it's hammering at home and these are touches that i think make the movie fascinating from a critical eye i don't know as you said tad how many people would watch this movie especially as you said mandy going in expecting a completely different kind of story would have seen those um or would have cared and so and we get them i mean we get lots of other things too that are, are maybe one-offs or just a couple of times repeated imagery like we haven't talked about it but anytime you have a rape scene in a film it's unnerving because you're seeing potentially things that happen all the time uh you know it's like it's a little bit different i think than watching uh um like a, a gunshot or a gunfight on film because we know inherently they're not being shot you know there's a level of special effects involved but with rape you don't need any special effects to uh recreate a rape on film it's just a very unsettling experience this one in particular it goes on for a while you don't actually know if she has been physically assaulted um to the extent that there will be dna evidence but she's clearly being assaulted and i thought it was an interesting choice a lot of times we get this especially in the 70s um i love exploitation movies but we get the stupid thing where it's really just an excuse to have the actors pretend to have sex on camera and titillate the audience where it's like the woman doesn't fight back. She just says things and writhes, you know, it's like there's, you can turn the sound off and it's no difference between uh, the couple on the other movie having consensual sex and the, you know, and the couple having non-consensual rape uh, in one movie. This is not that way. This um, has, we have the young black man there who ends up trying to rescue her clearly being uncomfortable watching it but trying to do other things like play one of the weird peep show games and then we have the two uh uh active rapists who are who are basically passing her back and forth and she's very passive um they did a good job of like her lipstick is smeared she's she's very passive in this moment and then she lashes out and tries to escape um and i think a lot of times we in the audience when we see something an un, an injustice uh, especially something like rape, you want the character to fight. But reality, which is, and that's been used against victims of assault throughout time as a, well, why didn't you fight back? Maybe because I was afraid of violence, right? That's the real reason. And in this, we get a character uh, and directing and acting that recognizes that. And instead it's sort of an opportunity to escape you know, she punches one of them. By the way, one of the rapists, the most terrifying one, is actually played by a uh, a, a a young. Um, help me out, my brain is 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 off here. Uh, Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, Steve Buscemi. And I mean, he does a great job. He's an uncomfortable character that that uh, doesn't reappear. He does get arrested. This character gets arrested in the movie. Um, but I thought it was much like the. Uh, the fact that the sister there's no like weird joke or disgust at the sisters um at, at what she's become as the victim of long-term abuse uh but and other things like it, it's more than just long-term abuse she's also been since a young age uh encouraged to participate in these disturbing sex games um but there's no judgment about there, there's no i'm trying to look for the right word it's treated in a way where as distasteful as it is, I feel like the victims are not 
made fun of, made to look stupid. Um, you know, Jennifer Jason Lee is a victim in this movie several times over. Um, but she doesn't sit down and take it, nor does she be the uh, kind of unrealistic, overt hero, right? Who fights and defeats the evil. That's not her character. Hers is a much more centrist, probably real, I would hazard to think realistic character in that way. Um, and I thought that that deserves merit, but it also makes for an even more uncomfortable cinematic experience because we don't get the catharsis that we so want of bad people getting what's coming to them. Um, we also uh, hear that her uncle died of AIDS, which this is very time appropriate. Obviously the AIDS uh, crisis was, was ravaging um, the, the, sex, you know, the sex industry as well as most heavily uh, the gay communities, um, which, and that was an interesting moment where there was a very strong opportunity and I was waiting for it for them to basically call him some derogatory uh, term for homosexuals or something like that because uh, associating so many people at the time and unfortunately still today, but especially in the 80s during that time, associated it strictly with homosexual uh, homosexuality. And we don't get that actually at all. Uh, in fact, we get her character being like, did, was it hard? Like, did he suffer a lot? And then that's when we get that first really telling line where um, the brother character says, not nearly enough. And she gets, and you're just like, whoa, like that was the first time you finally get his read on the situation. Um, but I thought that it was very carefully done in a way that normally, if you were to say, this movie has pedophilia, uh, gaslighting of, of uh, assault victims, and someone uh, who contracted and died of AIDS, and it was made in 1988, that would have literally checked all my boxes for, oh, this is going to be an unbelievably problematic movie to talk about. Because they are going to, and, and a woman dresses a man who could be maybe considered, uh, considers herself a trans person or would if, if during temper times. Just all those things, I'm like, wow, this, you could not talk, you could not put this back in theaters. Um, and I feel like they, those are elements to a movie that it doesn't pass those judgments. And it kind of maybe speaks to the subject, right? Um, sex is not necessarily the same as, as perversion. Um, although in this case, they do have several characters that heavily overlap that. So I thought this was an interesting take on it. That said, it's an uncomfortable movie. I think it's very beautiful visually. We'll move right in here as I've been talking way too long for uh for the final thoughts and recommendations i will recommend this movie to people who like like the nightcrawler um and who aren't who are going to be okay uh having some experience having some of the characters have terrible experiences with pedophilia things like that i will say i also respect the film for having pet if you're gonna have the pedophilia i feel like it can't be the reason for action, right? Like that's disrespectful. When you have an action movie where the guy goes to blow up the 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 secret military's child sex rings, like that's just, you're just using it as a cathartic release and you're actually sort of exploitating real victims of sex trafficking, sex abuse, right? Like, I mean, there is a catharsis involved in that, but you're using it for cheap thrills. This movie, is it for entertainment? Yes. Do they exploit it to the level where I feel like they were just going for cheapness? I don't think so. We don't see any even hidden things of pedophilia. Like we just know we're told it happens. 
and it's alluded to, but they don't show us any of that. Uh, and they didn't need to. Uh, and so I appreciate that not going into that extreme exploitation route, which so many have. Um, I mean, we watched uh, another film, which I enjoyed, but is deeply problematic. Um, and they didn't do it for just cheap thrills either. Um, but when we watched the film with eight millimeter um, starring uh, George C. Scott, uh, I'm blanking on the name. Do you remember, Tad? The name of what? The other movie with eight millimeter. Why am I blanking on this? Oh God, I can't remember because it was eight millimeter. It's, it's been a long, it's been a long week, guys. Um, but uh, go back and listen to our episode uh, uh, on on that eight millimeter and its its sister film because that's another one where you have cases of of underage sex rings essentially and we do see footage and it is incredibly disturbing and. I don't think we needed to in this one. Um, it was, they held back. Now, Mandy has a good point, which she brought up earlier off, off recording, which was, did it have to be relevant to the story at all? That's, that's hit or miss. I mean, they definitely use it as a device to set up the psychological impact on these two characters. Um, is that enough merit to use something that real people experience in the real world? That's another discussion. I don't know, um, you know, there's, that's, the, that's the forever discussion, right? Is it better to have things like that in our modern contemporary media because it's real and because it's important that people know it's real? Or should it not be shown because it somehow is just glorifying this voyeuristic perversion um, for people's entertainment without addressing the problem? Uh, I think probably the answer is somewhere in between. I think we need to treat it with, uh, respect is a weird thing to say, but we need to treat it in a way that shows respect to the people who, who suffer from abuse and mistreatment. And uh, we also need to be aware that it's sort of like uh, a politician or anyone, uh, listen, looking at you, idiot Marjorie Green, uh, comparing anything to the Holocaust. Um, you don't do that. And if you do step on that landmine, it needs to be for something, it better damn well be the risk of another Holocaust. Like it better be the real deal because you do not bring out those heavy guns that uh, are such a painful moment and such a, a, a true image of, you know, hell on earth without having that at stake. Having a small piece of fabric wrapped over my mouth <laughs> is not that moment. Um, so yeah, so let's go on uh, to final thoughts and recommendations. I do recommend this film if it sounds like something that you might be enjoyed. It does have a great atmosphere. Everything is intentional. If you enjoy looking for symbolism and watching a movie as though you would read a book, give it a shot. Um, don't go in expecting to be excited because it's not a sexually exciting movie. It does everything it can to show you sexually exciting things and make you feel really awful about them. Um, there's also except for like some grainy footage that plays on TVs in the background and a weird little animated bit uh, of, of animated pornography. There's no nudity in this film, uh, even in the rape scene. There's no nudity. And uh, I think that's intentional. And I think it's a, a wise choice. Um, much like Nightcrawler, they hold back a lot of what you see to be very realistic, but at the same time, um, no less impactful, perhaps more impactful because you don't see it. One last thing I'll throw in before I pass in the baton. There's also some really cool weird effects in this. There's a dream sequence where a giant eyeball bursts through a, a glass door and eyeballs are floating in a, uh, in a waterbed. Um, it, it 
it's one of those rare movies that I wasn't mad that there wasn't a ghost because normally I prefer supernatural horror films. And I'm like, if there's supposed to be a ghost, I want to be a ghost. Don't give me any Henry James turn of the screw bullshit where some, you know, someone just went wonker, you know, bonkers, like give me a ghost. This is one of the few times when it feels like there is a ghost, even though there isn't probably because we're, you're talking a lot about mental situations, right? Like a Jacob's ladder of, of visions. So if you like ghost stories, I think you'll still like this one. I think it actually scratches a lot of that itch. Move on to Mandy. Mandy, final thoughts. And would you recommend this? I don't know. Like just to build on what you just said, it felt like the opposite of sixth sense. Like it kind <laughs> yes. of like lead you to think there are ghosts or something right. weird going on. And there's just like, nope, just boring, regular trauma. That's yeah. <laughs> It's true. It's true. It presents yeah. it in such a supernatural way that it's like, and I will say like Sixth Sense, looking back through it, because while I was watching, I'm like, okay, it has to be supernatural. This couldn't possibly happen. Otherwise I was like, oh, actually looking through there are, you could explain everything. And I was like, a knife coming up through the bed would be the hardest, but you could still do it um, because she's in the floor and there are um, passages under the floor in other places where she can stab through. So yeah, I know. So um, I really liked what you had to say about like the theater aspect of it and it going into this whole voyeur theme of these two movies. Um, I did pick up on the windows in all of the rooms yeah. like early on and I was like, it creeped me out. Um, I was still like, slight, I don't think surprised when they revealed the passages, but I'm like, oh, now those windows like, really make sense. Like I thought it was like a weird way of making the rooms feel more open well um, you don't know if you know, it's the outside of the building but they're just painted over either like, no they were just all like like weirdly did not match like the architecture yeah. room for rooms so, and like they're they looked like sets like and mm -hmm. which they were right. um but i was like also oh, they all have windows and that's very strange and uncomfortable but like the whole wire thing like end up making sense mm -hmm. um and i and i also thought that that went nicely what you're saying is that the the movements and direction was a lot more like a stage show but like literally every room was a stage mm -hmm. because of those windows so I thought it was like an interesting theme to go through but yeah um i mean i this is okay i guess there's a certain audience for it i don't think i was that audience it's hard for me to like then name like who the audience would be and make a recommendation but it was definitely like um nightcrawler uh, that we just reviewed um more of a piece of art than like an entertainment film i think that the themes um and content will stick with you longer than just like a purely entertainment popcorn film um and for that like if that's the kind of movie that you like then this should go on the shelf with them and and watch it and have it in your memory because i think that it's definitely something that's going to stick with you so I just also want to talk because I think it's actually really interesting. So uh, Matthew Chapman is the uh, uh, the writer director of this movie, and Matthew Chapman um, name might be familiar. He's written quite a few movies. Um, he hasn't directed as many, but he's written a lot of movies, uh, including uh, the Grisham adaptation, Runaway Jury. Uh, but he also did um, uh, Color of Night. Uh, which is a very well-known film. But he also did Stranger's Kiss in 1983, which also starred Jennifer Jason Leigh. So they clearly had a working relationship together. Uh, and 
I think that played into the fact of probably her choosing this role because this is, it's not a role that a lot of, I think actors would jump at in certain ways. Like you have to actually want to act because she's, she's not allowed to be sexy, even though she's a beautiful woman, she's not allowed to be happy. There's no comedy. And she plays a, a broken, a damaged person who really is at the a whim of outside circumstance. Um, and it, it maybe it makes for a challenging role. And so when you succeed at it, like Jake Gyllenhaal in Nightcrawler and like, I think her in this, uh, you get a lot of um, acting chops out of it. But it's a hard role for someone to look at. No one looks at this character after watching this movie and goes, I want to be her. None of that, right? None of that. Uh, it's very good, very interesting points. But I, as I said, I did want to mention um, the director. He's also a sort of a political advocate advocate for science and he's, he's a journalist. So he's written for Harper's uh, National Geographic, the Huffington Post. Um, he's, he does a lot of uh, tr big trial journalism as well. And uh, I think that and, and he's written uh, fiction as well. So that really fed into the sort of, uh, and he's English, so the stage part makes sense. It's like all those elements coming in to make a movie that feels less like a movie than others and more like it's a movie slash book slash play really makes sense. Tad, you're gonna wrap it up for us with your final thoughts on Heart of Midnight and would you recommend it? And if so, to who and why? Here at Colton Classic, we can take a highly divisive movie and have the balls to say, meh. <laughs> yeah, well, I understand that, actually. So, um, Nate, do you sometimes just want it to be a ghost because you love Scooby-Doo and it's never the ghost and you just want it to be the ghost for once? That's literally why... So if anybody has, has watched Scooby, the original Scooby-Doo series, Hanna-Barbera, and Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? It's the original series and um, hasn't watched Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island, the first of the uh, nine, I believe it was 90s uh, direct-to-video features, you are missing out because that literally, guess what? It's really supernatural. It's actually, it's Those actually, are really zombies. And it's yeah. a great movie. And it is so good. And I absolutely adore it. And you know I love James Gunn, but uh, the Scooby-Doo 1 and 2 live actions can't hold a candle to Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. They even did a return to Zombie Island, which I have yet to see, uh, but came out years later. But yes, that that literally made, for like two years, I was flying high on Scooby-Doo on Zombie Island. Um, but anyway, maybe. Yeah. The movie. So um, I would recommend this movie, surprisingly. I initially was not going to recommend it. And then I realized I would recommend it if you're okay with watching it twice, because this is one of those yeah. movies where if I watched it a second time, a lot of stuff would make more sense. Sure. The initial I, watch yeah. was like rough. And then running through it, th this again, this fucking happens with a lot of movies we fucking watch. I'd be like, okay, I'll watch it a second time. And all of a sudden everything makes more sense. Unlike, um, and I was going to say this because it's thematically related and it's one of those movies, I swear to God, Nate, if you ever put it on our list, I am just not coming to that episode. <laughs> Blindness. I hate that fucking movie. Blindness with Julianne Moore, which is based off the book. Awful. One of the most misanthropic movies I had ever seen in my life. Um, 
everyone's suffering from an illness that makes them blind and she's faking it, right? Is that the one? Never mind. Uh, oh, it's the face I mean, that Tad I mean, just pulled. If anybody has actually seen that movie, they don't realize how offensive that was. <laughs> Clearly, it's I a, have not. No, um, Nathan, honestly, I, I highly recommend everybody avoid that fucking movie. Like, I remember how I... How, I, I the trailer I, looked great. I talk all the... Yeah, I know. That's what made me go see it. And then I walked out and I went, oh my God, I'm not sure if I wanted to walk out of this or Alexander harder. I was just going to say, more than Alexander, um, we definitely should talk. Oh, in fact, we should, we should do a movies Tad Hates. Um, if you guys want that, write in to Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com. Say, yes, movies Tad Hates, please. I mean, Absolutely. we've... Some episodes have been dedicated to movies I fucking hate already. So I'm down. Let's fucking... <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I can see that. Um, I can absolutely see that. Watching it twice, I think, will give a difference because of the imagery and it's they don't explain a lot to you. And yet, I think that they did do their diligence to make it to make it work. If you do pay attention, um, and I think a lot of us are gun shy to, to those things where I had to watch it twice because things like Tenant, I don't have the ten hours of life to watch multiple times right now. I don't. Um, but if anybody has the bootleg onto a Game Boy Advance cartridge and would like to send it to me, I'd be happy to watch it that way. Uh, so thank you guys so much. This is uh, this has been great. I'm really excited about this one. We probably should have called it um, uh, Entrepreneur Voyeurs, but this has been Thrillers After Dark with 2014's Nightcrawler, which we talked about last week. And today we talked, of course, about 1988's uh, Heart of Midnight with Jennifer Jason Lee and... Uh, and also Peter Coyote played the um, played the brother slash pretend detective. He did, as Tad said, I think he did a great Nathan, job. You went through this entire review without mentioning the fact that Steve Buscemi is in this movie once. I did. No, you didn't. Did yes, you? I did. She called well, him a rapist. One rape, he's one of the rapists. I, I must have completely glossed over it. This somehow. is what you, this I is think what you happens. Like, yeah, you just like zoned out. This is what happens. I, Sometimes I say things about eyes and then Tad goes into a mental diatribe about the movie Blindness and he misses everything I say. But yes, we did talk about Steve Buscemi uh, playing one of the rapists. I'll just go into screensaver mode. I'm sorry. <laughs> um yes so thank you guys so much for listening to Colton classic podcast we really want to hear from you if you have recommendations if you want us to talk about a movie sometimes we've had recommendations that we put on the show where they hate you hate a movie and you're like i hate this movie so much can you talk about it um and sometimes we like it sometimes we hate it but we always give you more information than you ever wanted to know so thanks so much for listening please rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts uh, apple podcast Podchaser, etc watch us on youtube youtube.com slash Colton classic podcast email us at Colton Classic Podcast at gmail.com and at Instagram uh, at Colton Classic Podcast. Thank you guys so much. Keep an eye out on our Instagram because we'll be having another giveaway uh, in the next uh, month or so. And uh, congratulations to Howard who won our first giveaway from Horror uh, Pack. So glad you enjoyed. Thanks so much. And to play us out as always is The Chud with All About Evil. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Colton Classic Podcast. This podcast is important to me, but what's more important are the rights 
privileges, and freedom from violence of everyone in this country and in this world. And that means supporting Black Lives Matter. If you'd like to make a donation, please go ahead and visit coltonclassicpodcast.com where we have a list of places you can donate and help out. And please stay safe.